0: This is Consenshu, the podcast episode 503 for the week of June 25th, 2023. Welcome back to Shu, the podcast, an extension of the all-encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, Shu. We, in fact, cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. Hey, everyone, my name is Mike. You may see me around as Ex. While I may be alone at the start of this episode, I will not be alone for the rest of the episode. This is a unique start to a series of podcast episodes I plan on rolling out, uh, not all in a row. Um, sprinkled, I was going to say twinkled, that's not the right word, sprinkled over the uh, the upcoming future of the show. Uh, an interview series with the KonZenshu crew itself. Uh, the first one that we are debuting here on this episode, I'm looking back to the original file, May 19th, 2018 is when we recorded this. So we have passed the five year anniversary of the recording of this episode that until today hasn't seen the light of day. And here we are. Uh, The first interview is with Julian. I am excited to share this with you because I just listened to it for the first time in five years. And I thought there was a ton of great stuff in here. What this interview series, will be and you will hear on here as we will dive into the individual their story their contributions their outlook uh with julian we talked about yes how he got into the series uh the old petition that he drafted up that got the attention of viz back in the day uh joining myself to relaunch in 2003 um, refocusing our um kind of like work ethic and style on the site there at the time jumping ahead of course to the fusion of KonZenshu. But then with Julian specifically, we talked about the process and the art of translation, uh, how he selects those projects, how he takes on those projects, how he works through those projects. We talked about Toriyama as an author, uh, as a speaker, like the actual ways that Toriyama communicates in his interviews, so yes, while this is an interview with a member of Konzenshu, it touches on and explores a whole lot of other stuff about Dragon Ball, specifically about Toriyama. I think there's a lot to learn, and in my case, relearn after a number of years. I'm really curious why I just never got around to releasing this. I think I wanted them all to be in-person interviews and had Heath actually not been here in that long. And I did get Heath down here a few months ago. So I was able to record his. So you can look forward to that in the feed in maybe a couple of weeks, couple of months time. Like I said, we'll spread them out a little bit. Uh, and I don't know, it just kind of sat here. The one thing I do want to say about this interview, because I, I did just get done re-listening to and, and editing it was, uh, this is only five years ago. So you can add five to the age that you Julian says, and I'm older than Julian, so I think at that point maybe I was that that. No, I was still older than that age. Anyway, I sound like the earliest version of Dai Zen E X podcast. Mike, I sound like I'm 15 years old. It's really weird. I don't know what was going on. I'm fairly certain that whenever Julian was here, like I was getting over some kind of cold or usual sinus infection, something like that. Usually that makes your voice get deeper. I don't know what was going on. I sound like a little kid interviewing him. I swear this isn't a long lost recording from like 2005. This was only 2018 that we recorded this. I hope you enjoy it. Here is my interview with Julian, the one and only, from Konzenchu, it's a good hour-long interview. Please enjoy. I will see you on the flip side. We'll wrap up this episode, and we'll look ahead to the future. Welcome to the first in a series of uh, one-on-one interviews. Learning about the people behind Konzenju, uh, who they are, what they do, what makes them tick. My name is Mike. Uh, I go by Vegito EX, but also Mike. Uh, I'm one of the people who founded Konzenju, I guess you could say. Uh, I go all the way back to 1998 with Vegito EX's ultimate DBZ links page. The first person I'm chatting with in this series is uh, not the first person I pulled in to work on websites with me. But, uh... In the legacy of Kanzenshu, effectively the first person, Uh, because when Julian came on to Zenshu EX with me, uh, that was really the turning point for what I was doing with the website. Uh, Changed up how we were approaching things, uh, the actual things we were working on on the website. And uh, the nice thing is, Julian, you are here in front of me right now, so we don't have to record online.
1: Yes, that is correct.
0: This is nice. It's relaxing.
1: Yes, it, it is relaxing. Are you relaxed? Don't 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 <laughs> mind me trying to get this this chain off of my leg.
0: Why don't we start at the beginning?
1: Who are you, <laughs> and what do you do at Consentu? My name is Julian. I'm thirty three years old. I'm a Pisces. I like long walks on the beach. And <laughs> oh, right, the site the site. Uh, <clears throat> so I've uh, been with Mike uh, on the website since two thousand and three before the dawn of *Kansenshu* proper and i do news related things i do a lot of content reading and proofing and translation and a lot of the song lyrics and many of the interviews are my translations from the japanese i started learning in earnest uh, around 2003 and i really started doing that role on the site before i knew what i was doing but i did eventually become, did. <laughs> i did eventually become fluent and literate in the language and i do have a uh, level one certification at the japanese language proficiency test or jlpt um if you have any questions uh Zehi <laughs> kudasai back in english
0: We'll get back to language. There's a lot to say there. Uh, but we do have to go to, from the introduction to the typical hack question, Julian, how did you get into Dragon Ball?
1: Well, let's see. I think it was actually back when I was in middle school. Uh, I had to get up early to catch the bus because we started, oh, was like eight something in the morning. So I had to get up to catch the bus at like seven-ish. And early in the morning, um, our Warner Brothers network affiliate that we had at the time, WPIX out of New York City, was showing Dragon Ball Z in syndication in the morning. So that was my first glimpse of it, but I didn't really get into it until eighth grade. And part of that was the story drew me in, but I think also it was the storm and drang of adolescence. And it felt like a good outlet for aggression that didn't involve um, criminal records and uh, punishment at school. So I think that was a good thing.
0: Where along that journey did language come into play,
1: and how, how did it do so? Well, I think it was almost like the next year, getting into the story more. I, I It was obvious, even to me at the time, that there was a lot of material that was being taken out of the series at the time. And if you weren't part of the fandom in that era, you might not be aware of just how much censorship was involved There is still a tiny amount, but because of the time slot that the series airs in North America and um, just because of, uh, in in some ways, how the fandom has aged with the series in uh, the English-speaking world is less of an issue now than it was. But it was very much a big thing, especially as they were really trying to push it as children's programming in in, um, the United States and elsewhere. Of course, we're not saying that it's not children's programming, only that the different standards, especially 20 years ago, made that almost a necessity from a marketing standpoint. But because of that, I became very interested in seeing the original and also became aware of the original comic at the time. And almost out of spite, I sort of decided that I would learn Japanese, so I would not have to rely on any kind of intermediary And somehow I ended up sustaining my interest long enough that it became an interest in the broader culture and um, as well as other series, both uh, Jump and otherwise, to um, allow me to learn the language and also study abroad in college. I spent a semester in Kyoto uh, and then after I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I went over teaching English uh, for what I had intended initially just to be maybe a year which turned into several years, and then I got married and had children, and the next thing I knew it was eight years, and then I moved back with my family. And uh, long story short, I'm actually doing grad school right now while my family is over in Japan, missing them terribly, and planning to move over there once I'm done.
0: Tell me about community at the time, because you said, all right, you're, you're getting into the show, <laughs> you're learning Japanese out of spite, but that's not in a bubble. Uh, I remember you... I, I, I think my first contact with you was it on the newsgroup? Was it on Altafan.dragonball?
1: It may, very well may have been. Um, so there's newsgroups or Usenet, if you don't know what they are. They are um, sort of like what you would consider uh, a web forum these days, except it's much more text based, no images. But um, now you can find them with things like Google Groups. But Altafan.dragonball was essentially an unmoderated forum populated with threads of people going back and forth and uh, exchanging knowledge opinions vitriol all the usual usual yeah and um so that's where i I came across mike and his site for the first time yeah yeah and i went by i think i i uh the show my interest in the japanese version i nicknamed myself the super saiyajin jedi Mm -hmm. because i'm I was also a Star Wars fan and still am. and That shortened over time to Saiyajedi. Yes. Here I am somehow 20 years later.
0: Yeah, but you were doing stuff in the meantime, too. So you're a part of this online community, as mm-hmm. most of us were. If you were a Dragon Ball fan and you were online in any time between 97, 99, you were probably going to find your way to the news group at some point. Um, There was a website at the time that many folks would remember, uh, Planet Namek. Yes. Uh, You somehow got involved with this site, and then they shut down like two months later. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I don't don't really know how I did. I, I remember that I think I must have like pleaded or something repeatedly until they finally gave me a cursory position doing like a roundup of other sites and interesting stuff they were putting out. And that's what I did until they shut down. Gotcha. That was that. But uh, after that time, I was sort of, you know, getting into other parts of the series, uh, learning more about the comic that the show was based on. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I was getting into that, I realized that they had started also censoring the Dragon Ball comics, which were originally promoted as not being censored. Right. And I became so incensed in that particular way that young adults have about themselves that I wrote a petition. And somehow that garnered a lot of signatures and the attention of Viz themselves. And in fact, I was mentioned in the letters column of one of the monthlies. Mm-hmm. I still don't know how I managed that. And then they, they decided after that that what they would do is they would, since they had split it into Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, what they would do is they would put out uh, the Dragon Ball version with uh, a content warning on the cover. And then the Dragon Ball Z ones, they would sort of leave in a Lightly censored style because they felt at the time that it was less necessary. Yeah, and yeah. Personally, I don't think it really required much of anything, but that's another story. Sure. Anyhow, it, it it it's a lot of the the situation at the time and standards in North America and elsewhere have changed over the years, and uh, Mike and I are both witness to that over time. I was proud to have left some sort of mark on the fandom. And after that, things, you know, quieted down for a while. The The manga continued from Viz in, in North America. And Funimation continued on with its English dub of Dragon Ball Z. It started up with a dub of Dragon Ball. Um, starting over, really, because they had done the first 13 episodes way back in, like, 1995. Yep. And uh, around 2003, you were deciding that you were going to restart... Your site, which you had sort of angrily (laughs) closed up shop because you had had enough of the fandom.
0: I took my ball and I went home for a while. Uh, The the interesting thing there is you go back and look at some of my updates and I say you, you you can't really. I have some offline archives of things. Uh, It seems like I was. As much as I said I was done, I was still kind of updating more often <laughs> than I thought I would be at that time. Yeah, so I I had just I I was I was too young, as many of us were at the time, uh, too young to popular too fast uh, had an audience and wasn't um, intellectually and emotionally mature enough to handle it at the time. And uh, I think I made the right decision in, all right, I'm going to stop doing this, whether it's permanently or for a period of time. Uh, I think it was the right thing to do. And it was in 2002, uh, probably later in the year, I decided, you know, what? I think I'm ready to get back into this game. I, I still love this series so much. Uh, things were starting to, go into motion again over in Japan a little bit, and it seemed like the series was picking up steam to some degree, and I decided that in uh, January 2003 I was going to relaunch Daizenshu EX, which it had been uh, already at that point. I had gone from uh, Ultimate Link's page to Vegito EX's homepage to Daizenshu EX, Um, so I... I was going to relaunch it. What do you remember about that time of uh, me asking you? Obviously, we were familiar with each other. Um, What do you remember me asking you to do or be involved with, and what vision did you have for the
1: future? You know, I honestly don't remember. Me either, but. Um, I remember I was a senior in high school at the time, so my first first thought was, okay, I need to get into college, and oh, hey, I can maybe be involved with this website, and that's kind of cool. And I was thinking, well, you know, I have an abiding interest in Japanese and I'm really trying to learn the language. So maybe I can make this sort of my um, real life experience in forcing myself to have something to practice yeah. on. Yeah. And, you know, in, in that ex- it, to that extent it worked. I am not proud of my old translations and I'd recommend you avoid uh, anything from before Kanzenshu, uh although I was getting better that whole time. But I, I, I definitely can attest to the quality of the things from after I went to Japan versus four. Yeah, yeah. Before, yeah.
0: What was exciting about being a part? Yes, there were other websites, but no one in English was doing what I think, not even that we wanted to do. We didn't know we wanted to do it
1: yet. Right. Well, it was a, a very sort of fragmented sort of online experience at that time. There was no overarching social media. Um, right, right. On any platform, really. So if you wanted to find out stuff about what was going on with Dragon Ball in Japan, you had to have a good tab on Japanese websites, which were often encoded still like it was the 90s. I mean, it had just ended. Uh, and then, you you know, you had to have your, um, you know, sort of eyes and ears in Japan. Or with sources in Japan to get your information. Yeah, and,
0: at that point, all the people that were doing websites before I was doing my website, uh, you know, I think back to Wu and Su Senshu, he would talk about getting an issue of V Jump and saying what was the coverage for Final Bout that month. But that was so rare. And I feel like we lost that culture for years. People didn't know what the magazines were, they didn't know what the sources were.
1: Right. It's very much like this thing came in from Japan and in that sort of vacuum is where we got all sorts of rumors. And that's not to say that rumors haven't cropped up since then in a more more elaborate and uh, comprehensive environment. But it's been easier to disprove these sort of things because we have all of this material easily at hand. Right. We can go to the websites. We can go to these official statements on social media and say, no, those are not a thing.
0: Even just the last year or so where Amazon Japan has made it easier and easier to order things, not even just order video games, but it, it costs, I don't want to say pennies, but it's, it's reasonable to order V jump every month and have it shipped to your house in America for you know, 12, $13. I remember when Nekomajin was coming out and Panicking over where can I order a monthly jump? Also, what is monthly jump? I don't know what this is.
1: <laughs> right. Well, it, obviously, it's not around anymore. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have those kinds of sources, even though um, Amazon existed. Uh, even if it had a branch in a particular country, they were very much sort of walled off from between each other until later on. It wasn't until I think around the time some of the later stuff was coming out. I remember I, I had to go to Amazon Japan to find a lot of stuff and had to figure out how to navigate it in English. Eventually, they had some rudimentary English controls on there, but it was an experience and you kind of had to, it was very much a trial by fire. You had to sort of make your connections. You had to find your way about because there was no one, it, there was not easy access. You had to find somebody who knew how to do it and it could tell you mm-hmm. or you had to figure it out yourself. And that was, you know, not to sound too much like the cranky old man, like in my day, we had to do everything for ourselves but it was was very much a time where it, it, it felt like you know it was sort of every man for himself because nobody really knew yeah
0: so I guess getting back to that question so the two of us are starting up relaunching a website but effectively starting up a new website at mm. that point even though it was the same thing it's kind of a trend with us where we <laughs> constantly relaunch things under new names and new management which is the same management <laughs> what was exciting uh, about that in 2003 so we're going to do this and we have this new focus yes. um what got you going every day
1: well part of it was um the information coming out of japan with the Kanzenban. Oh, the, right, right. The perfect editions. They started up in two thousand two and they were ongoing at that time. So I really wanted to push this angle of we we can you know, we can have all this information that's coming out from Japan that nobody else has in English because people weren't getting those sources. There was maybe Anime News Network, but even then, compared to now, their coverage was not nearly as comprehensive and even now they they're, they're generalists. They're not fans hardcore of one specific thing, so they they don't always know how to interpret the information that they get. But that aside, um, you know, we we were essentially one of the few places that were really paying attention to what was going on in Japan.
0: Yeah, that was one of the first features we launched with, wasn't it? was yeah. Dragon Ball in Japan. Here's the Kanzenban. Here's some of the new video game stuff coming out. Here's Dragon Box stuff that'll be coming out.
1: Right. It was it was really uh, at a, a sort of... I wouldn't I wouldn't say a, a rebirth, but sort of a renaissance of I guess that means rebirth in French. <laughs> anyway, a rediscovery of the series in in Japan, I want to say. Um, it was just as, as this time as people who grew up with the series were becoming adults and settling down and having right. you know um, disposable income to spend on things like these new editions of the series as well as the DVD box sets that were coming out. And um, it was really exciting to see all this new stuff come out of the out of the series, which uh, for a long time in Japan had been in this fallow period after
0: 1997. Yeah. I mean, GT ended. Final bout came out and that was it for a while. Uh, I think we were at the right age for this because I'm a couple of years older than you, but I was all right into college, graduating college. I now have a job and disposable income and America's stuff isn't doing it for me, but Japan's got this cool stuff coming out. I can focus on that. Not just from, you know, personal interest put it up on my shelf standpoint, but I can, I can cover this and tell other people about it. Yeah. That, that was really cool. Um, beyond the cons and and all the dragon box stuff coming out, uh, video games. So this was an important coverage time for us. It was, it was right. a great, op- it was a great time to relaunch uh, at the site. I think, um, Tell me a little bit about so you wrap up college with a Japan trip. How did Japan come so, in around, around so? So uh,
1: after sort of trying to learn it on my own, I started taking Japanese in college, and in my third year, I went over to Kyoto for a semester, and uh, spent time there. Um, went to Kyoto or went to Tokyo and to Hiroshima, and uh, you know really put my nose to the grindstone in terms of learning language. And when I came back, I felt like what I really wanted to do was go back and spend more time in Japan because three months, three and a half months feels like a long time, but it's not nearly enough to really get the sense uh, of a culture and, you know, really feel for me at least to feel like I had become fluent to a, a level I was happy with. Yeah. And I, I still don't know if I'm fluent to a level I'm happy with, but at least it's, I'm more <laughs> fluent than I was. But um, so after graduating, I decided I would go over and teach English for maybe a year, I thought at the time. And during that year, I met my wife. Yeah, so I yeah, decided I mean, I'd stay another life year. life went on
0: this trajectory you weren't anticipating, for sure. Yes, and then sometimes.
1: I got married, and that turned into another year, and then my daughter was born, and then stayed a couple more years, and my son was born.
0: All right, so, so stop there, because at some point you do come back to America. Yes. Let's stick with In Japan. So that was wonderful for the website, mm. because <laughs> Dragon Ball has all this stuff going on. And sure, a lot of it at the time was just video games. Uh, we didn't even have Kai yet for, right. for quite some period of time. but what was it like being in Japan? What a couple questions here. What did it do for your appreciation of Dragon Ball, if anything at all? And how did it change your coverage of the series?
1: It really gave me, I think context in terms of the way that it fits into uh, Japanese society as a whole. Uh, you have the, the adult population who's very, very nostalgic about it and some still very passionate fans. Yeah. And, but it's just, it's a part of the fabric, almost a part of the air for, for kids, um, it's something that they've grown up with, often from the influence of their own parents mm-hmm. who grew up with it when it was coming out new. And um, it's something that most people are aware of. Everybody knows to an extent. And it, that reinforced for me the importance of keeping it in context. The fact that uh, it always gets blown out of proportion, especially through um, teenagers who are eager to seem not childish through their hobbies. But it, it is a children's property, and it's important to keep it in that context. So I I really got into the idea of having all of this out-of-universe background for the stuff that we do. And I think you've also done that from the business standpoint, especially right. as we've gotten into things like Kai and why did they choose to stop airing it after the Cell Arc only to pick it up later. But giving the context for the things that are coming out became large part of my focus and yeah
0: it it wasn't just all right here are the things that are coming out yeah we focused on releases a lot because there was a lot of stuff coming out honestly so right you know we would talk about it that way um but you really seemed like you were diving into and it was natural for us because as your language proficiency increased it's like oh okay let's go back to the daizentia let's go back to all these guidebooks um but it was always clear to me that you were focused more on the real words from the real people that told the stories behind the production not just what is this the story within the show itself which we like and which is interesting but particularly for us two and more so you than anyone it's that guy said that thing i now know more about how to frame this
1: right it's very much um what what was the mindset of the people who were in the process of creating these things um so i during my time living in japan i i scoured used bookstores and online shops and collected this massive backlog of magazines, which I consider still woefully incomplete, but I do know what I'm looking for. So if it ever happens my way, I'll try and snag it, but I've got tons of interview material with people over all aspects of production from the voice actors to the production people and the video game producers. Um, all of these things creating a bigger picture of how it figured in to the overall um, franchise as a whole. I just find that immensely interesting. And I don't know if there's a way to justify it beyond that, but I think for my personal edification is enough. If other people enjoy that, that's cool.
0: Yeah. Dragon Ball is different because of Toriyama, I think. Uh, Because he's not so much out there. In the world, constantly making comments, no social media presence, especially today. Right. Uh, That was a little different early on with him where it felt like uh, he was appearing more often in magazines and interviews. He seemed a little more candid. uh, And that really scaled back, especially as we hit Dragon Ball. Uh, And obviously, we've expanded our coverage in the years to, alright, here's some stuff pre-Dragon Ball, but this is how it shapes Dragon Ball. This is what he's thinking at the time. Um, Tell me a little bit about, Julian, tell me about Toriyama as a person through these interviews. What do you learn about him specifically? What makes Toriyama different from other manga authors in the way that... He's uh, he's portrayed and he
1: portrays himself yes
0: in all this material that we're looking at across from us here, kind of my basement right. that we've collected in the mast.
1: Well well I f- what I find interesting about Toriyama is he's a person who, although his his vocation is as a cartoonist that his focus was never specifically on comics, that he didn't read comics for a long time and he went into design um, as a career. And found the hours not to his liking in the office environment. He's very much a person who prefers the company of people he's familiar with and of animals and of being alone in nature rather than with groups of people. And um, he he always uh, prefers to draw things that interest him maybe in a way that a lot of other artists prefer to try and create an overarching story with a message. Um, but he, he just likes to draw stuff that he likes. He, he likes cars. He he likes dumb jokes. He likes stupid character interaction. And all that stuff shapes what comes out on the page. And to me, the, the fascinating thing about him is just that he is so unorthodox and yet that sort of unorthodox approach has become enshrined to so much of an extent because of his great success that others have sought to emulate him uh, and his inimitable style in one way or another and it's it's fascinating to me that while many people have tried to replicate his success no one is quite so interesting as he is as a person
0: yeah (laughs) Where I'm going with this is, obviously, you've read a lot of his direct words yes. over the years. You've translated a lot of his direct words over the years. This is kind of a, a multi-part, I don't know if it's even a question, I don't know where I'm going with this. We'll, we'll see where we go with this. Start me with, you've decided to translate something, whether it's Toriyama yeah. or anyone else. What is your general approach, I guess, these days, because I'm sure this has changed over time. Yes, So... Or you're going to translate something. How do you go about doing that? What is your process?
1: Well, um, from the myriad of things that we have on our back burner, which is a lot. <laughs> it is. Um, <clears throat> I think first of all, uh, are there any kind of gaps in our coverage? Are there any years where we don't really have him on record saying much of anything? Is there any particular time where something interesting was going on that we don't have much context for? Um, is there something from a particularly sensitive time, like from around the time that the TV series was starting or that something was going on with the series that maybe maybe it might be interesting to know more about? Not necessarily uh, that he might have said something directly pertaining it, to it, but getting a sense of his mindset at the time, uh, what he's doing, what he's thinking about, um, goes a long way towards maybe understanding the broader context of uh, how it came about even if it's only in sort of oblique and uh, indirect ways. right? And so one of the things I'm working uh, on right now is from 1985, which is, it's still during the first year of serialization. It started in 1984, but only at the tail end. So uh, Toriyama was still working on the first year of Dragon Ball. And the series was very much still new. And, and reading through the interview and starting the translation... There's not a lot about Dragon Ball in there, but there is a lot of background because it's still relatively recent. And Dragon Ball is a comparatively very short period in his career at that point. But it really gives you a sense of um, what he's trying to do different with Dragon Ball and his sort of um, looking towards where it might go in the future. Uh, and that, that's all very, very interesting to me. I hope others find it interesting as well. One, another thing that uh, I want to pull out from the archives is something for a uh, Famicom game that came out in 1987 where um, the people in, uh, in charge of the Famicom Shinken article for Jump at the time, mm-hmm. which uh, involves such people as Yuji Horii, which you might right. have heard of, um, go to Toriyama's house and have a chat with him. And during that time, he's actually inking pages from the 23rd Tenkaichi Budokai. And um, you get a little bit of insight into his work and his thought process. And things from those periods when things are still sort of in flux, yeah. still changing, is very uh, very appealing to me in a way that I, again, it's, damn it, I don't need to justify it, but <laughs> I
0: right, right. like it. Well, that speaks to your selection process. Yes. Then take me through your your actual artistic process For translating something. So kind of the fundamentals of, do you work directly from the source? Like, do you have the book in front of you? Uh, Have you transcribed it? Do you not even transcribe it? Do you just go straight to a translation? What is your process there?
1: I prefer to transcribe it first, partly because retyping it in full forces me to look through the text and think through it while I'm retyping it. So I start to get familiarized with it.
0: Can I tell you, I I even feel that same way with the press archive on the site, where even though it's English language coverage so far, anyway, plans to expand that, uh, I find that it definitely commits it to memory, retyping it in in a way that I could OCR it and then go in and just do the touch-ups, but it's not the same as having to type every single word over again. So I totally right. get you there.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I definitely agree with that sentiment. And it also has the advantage of, because of, of the way that we have it uh, on a secret section of the website while we're working on it, Right. it's searchable. So if I can't remember where I put it, I can search for some of the key terms and it shows up.
0: <laughs> in Japanese or in English too. So that's right. very helpful.
1: Yes. So that is always a plus. And then I usually uh, go about translating it, uh, putting directly this passages directly underneath the ones that i'm translating mm-hmm. uh, so i can very easily look back and forth and make sure that i haven't missed anything as i go along and as i go through i make I go back i make uh tweaks i often make revisions to the beginning in light of the end where it maybe changes perspective on a few things uh and you know i go back and forth with mike try and remind him to get it on <laughs> The site yeah, sometime yeah. this decade. I was going to say, what is some of the collaborative process
0: there? Obviously, at this point, it's not just you anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Jake is a part of the team. Uh, we're at a point now where now we have Stacy, who's going to be helping us as right. well. Uh, how often do you kick things around with people? Do you specifically only do so when you're not sure about something? Or what's that like? How do you feel about having influence on your translation?
1: I mostly do things myself. I mean, having it up where we have it allows other people to look at it. And I figure if they have any objections to it, they might say something. We'll say some, Yeah.
0: And we do. So. Yeah. yeah.
1: And and they do offer some helpful f- suggestions. You know, there's always a certain amount of pride as a translator in that it's your own work. And to an extent, it's your your own voice that that this is coming through.
0: Right. But well, at the we'll same time. We'll get to that. So you and I just got done doing a whole bunch of stuff so far. We've been working on website pages. We just did a podcast episode uh, and we were translating a couple things for the wiki even, which is very fun. What was different about working on something literally side by side with me like that, where I'm saying, all right, I need the sentence or these three sentences translated and you're kind of spitballing some ideas and I'll throw out, you know, here's an equivalent phrase. Does that fit here it's like oh well my god here's what i'm thinking of what is the phrase for this and i'll, I'll think of something yes is it equivalent does it work there because i don't know if that reflects the japanese how's that different
1: it's interesting it's kind of nice to have somebody else to bounce things off of the frustrating part of becoming fluent in a language is that although it makes you very good at speaking in the language mm-hmm. because you're not constantly thinking of what's that word in English. It, yeah, yeah, it's um, not as easy to go back and forth. And even if you intuitively understand what something means, like what did, what is that word? You said
0: that <laughs> multiple times. Like I know what he's saying here. Like yes, Julian, I know you know what he's saying here. You need to communicate that, Jimmy. Yes, yes. and I was trying to figure out what the word was because
1: <laughs> I, I know what that word is and I just can't remember what it is in English. <laughs> but eventually, you know, we we bounce things off each other until we we figured out what what it was we were trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Or what it was we were trying to say that they were trying to say. <laughs>
0: So then take me back to voice Yes, uh, and I will try to dig up a really good article we had shared in the past. And uh, the point of it was basically when you're reading a translation, you're getting the original author, but you're also undeniably getting the voice of the translator. Uh, what is the voice of Julian and even Jake compared to Toriyama? What's coming through? What's not coming through? What, what do you think you contribute to? to Toriyama that people may not be aware
1: of. Um, What I think really comes across with Toriyama and doesn't always come across in all of the interviews, he has this very naturally sort of relaxed attitude and he's very, I want to say, noncommittal in some aspects. He doesn't say, this is how this is. Like, well, I think it's this way and it can be very frustrating to people who are looking for concrete things, but I'm sorry to disappoint you. He's not very much like that. (laughs) And he he comes across as very casual. You can tell he, he's very much a kind of person who is not necessarily personable, but is very sort of at home in his own skin. And, you know, he's not so good with people, but, uh, he, he knows who he is.
0: That's still Toriyama though. What, what are you adding or shaping in those words?
1: Well, what I try to do is I find, try to find a phrasing that will try and bring across his attitude Um, generally I try and get as, as close to his phrasing without making it seem unnatural or stilted. Yeah. Um, but there's the occasional break where if a specific turn of phrase, I think will capture the, the way that he's trying to get across better. Um, I think that I'll go with that. And I, I think in, in comparatively, Jake tends to go a little bit further afield in trying to shape the, the English was something that's not necessarily literally what's being said, but captures um, the, the substance.
0: Yeah, the feel, the emotional the, response yeah. to hearing those words in Japanese. Yeah, yeah.
1: And there, there's um, things for and against both of those techniques, and I try to keep it on an even keel.
0: And I find that the more that you two do, and at times do together, uh, it actually melds together really well.
1: Yeah. There have been times where we accidentally worked on the same thing because we didn't communicate with each other <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it ended up being pretty similar.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's funny that even though it's not two different approaches, it's just each individual is adding their own flavor
1: to it. Right. But it, it's still undeniably Toriyama who comes through in the end. Yes. Uh, and, and it's something that I think is, is one of the more difficult aspects of translation is that the sort of emotional underpinnings of a lot of the text you can read it and it has a denotational meaning what's there on the page but as you become more comfortable with um, hearing and speaking a language you kind of get the sense of the the tone of voice the kind of Mm. intent behind the words and that's what you're trying to get across when you're doing good translation and it's what i've been trying to do i I hope i've succeeded at least to an extent
0: i think so tell me more about toriyama and that's uh non-dragon ball obviously if you have this language proficiency you have this fandom for this author and his works clearly you've read pretty much everything there is to read (laughs) from toriyama right Uh, much of it available widely in japanese Uh, you know some of those earliest Mm non-professional things may have been lost to time but Wonder Island onward, it's pretty much somewhere to read. Uh, What are some of your favorite Toriyama stories that are non-Dragon Ball? Uh, What makes them different from Dragon Ball? And what makes them so unique and and enjoyable?
1: In terms of some of the stuff from before Dragon Ball, there is, of course, Dr. Slump. Right. Um, But I I enjoy many of his his one-shots because they they show a very clear progression in terms of I mean this is only visible from afterward obviously. Right. But you see him starting out as somebody who's primarily concerned with illustration. You have basically static images in a row telling a story. But as as time goes on he becomes much more comfortable with uh movement and um using that kind of momentum to his advantage. And I think this really peaks um late 80s early 90s with some of his one-shots there. Particularly his stories about um, like the kids, like Mamejiro and Kennosuke-sama. Right. Those short, they're they're silly, they're dumb, they they don't go too far afield, but they really capture the spirits of their characters in a small amount of pages, and they're amusing for what they're worth. And I think he is very good at that kind of little character interaction through. Very almost things that you don't even notice until you go back. Very small gestures, small facial expressions, small turns of phrase. I think if he were uh, a more quote unquote serious person, he could use those to very dramatic effect. It's just he chooses not to. And um, in terms of later works, I, I find uh, Nekomajin funny. Obviously, he's mining his own work for ideas. Yeah. But. It's, it's very much uh, a return to form in some ways, where he has the very action-heavy end parts of Dragon Ball. Uh, and then he has a series of uh, shorter serials. Um, Koa is not is not particularly uh, action-heavy, but Kajika and Sandland are to a good extent.
0: Right, and two of those are actually available in English. That's kind of where I want to go with this. So if we have Koa, we have Sandland, and we have... Jocko, which, mm-hmm. yes, is Dragon Ball, but yes. can stand alone for sure. Uh, are those things you can point people to? Um, what's in them that's undeniably Toriyama but is separate from Dragon Ball?
1: I think he has a very uh, sort of wry sense of observational and situational humor. For sure, yeah. Um, he's not all poop jokes. and um, There's a lot of that, but. <laughs> yes, but he, he is a very uh, good way of creating situational humor through offhand comments and things in the environment that um, come into play in unexpected ways. He's not one for attention to detail, but when he wants to, Mm -hmm. uh, it can really be really be effective. And I I think it's important to look at some of these works as a better example of his talents, especially for things like comedy, where he's not trying to outdo, you know, constantly stronger characters the way he kind of got stuck into doing in towards the end of dragon ball
0: well and even going back to something you and i talked about with the prototypes series uh Mm. for dragon ball uh something he was having trouble with in dr slump was i gotta do punchline after punchline when you get into something a little more serial that is not solely comedy he he can give his jokes time to breathe and land and lead up to something
1: and so you have payoff that's further out not not necessarily at the end of the same chapter yeah but things that can sort of come back in unexpected ways and i i enjoy that kind of humor sometimes i the shorter series i kind of wish they'd go on longer i agree <laughs> totally <laughs> and, I, and I,
0: I, I wish the longer ones would come over here in english so
1: everyone can read them right <laughs> still waiting on my kajika but yeah if you've only been exposed to dragon ball you really ought to do yourself a favor and explore more of his work It really gives you a better perspective on Dragon Ball as a whole. I think so. And um, if you're the kind of person who thinks that power scaling is the end-all, be-all of all Toriyama work, you'll find you may have a change of heart, perhaps. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There's there's a lot more to to the series than that. Agreed. Let's go back to the site for
0: a little bit. How has your role (laughs) changed at KonZenshu over the years? Obviously, we talked about we worked in 2002 to launch in 2003. And I mean, you were doing news posts yeah. for <laughs> quite a long number of years at that point. Um, in raw HTML. Yeah, yeah. FTP, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> I feel like as we move to a CMS, you actually do less on the site itself. But
1: maybe that's not entirely true. Well, because I could do it whenever I want, I don't feel obligated to. Right. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> so how have things changed? Well, I, I think it's allowed me to focus more on the content end. And um, certainly while I was in Japan, especially from the relaunches, Kanzenshu, merging with Kanzentai, um, I've tried to do a lot of sort of reporting from Japan, trying to get the latest stuff in context, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, providing more accurate translations of the material that we've already had. So I remember going back and redoing the entirety of the lyrics archive after we relaunched. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm... That's a lot to do. It's a lot to do. For something that was already done. Done. So, stuff yeah. that i hadn't looked at in years and i looked back and i was kind of embarrassed that yeah. we ever had that up on there i was like Argh. okay i'm glad i'm redoing this let's sure. never speak of the earlier versions again <laughs> for a while now i mean
0: i feel like we we've definitely hit a point where no matter what we're, we're putting up now like i can even see in everyone's writing on the site once you hit 2008 We're all pretty much who we are at that point. Our writing style kind of solidifies uh, the voice of the website, even though it was two different websites, started to congeal (laughs) at that point. I mean, we were consensu for years before we were consensu. I think that was really helpful for all of us. Um, so then how did things change once uh, Heath and Jake entered the picture? And uh, again, we were like you and I were working on Taisenshu EX for a year before we relaunched in 2003. We were working on Konzenchu for a year before we launched it. Right. So uh, so what changed for you in that time moving forward?
1: Well, I, I think in, in terms of my overall role, it was largely the same. But it was interesting working with a larger group of people trying to coordinate w- between uh, different time zones and different styles of posting i think i mean Heath has his own way and you have your own way yeah and sort of trying to go back and forth and get everybody on the same page it was especially during the battle of gods lead up yeah yeah and me having a son and
0: (laughs) (laughs) and there's a lot more of i mean when it was just you and i it was assumed well if i'm not doing it the other person's doing it and we'll just chat and we'll do it now it's four of us and it's, all right, let me peek in. Does anyone have a draft going? know uh, nothing there, I guess. Let me start a group text and see who's working on this. Right. And sometimes it'll be, it's already done, and we're going to get an email two seconds later, and oh, we can roll with it. But there's uh, there's definitely more communication to be done. Does Consenshu, in that regard, be totally honest, how does Consenshu feel... In terms of the rest of your life, with a job and a family, uh, what what's the payoff for you here? Why are you still doing this? Because this is a lot of work that no one gets anything for, other than whatever personal satisfaction you take away.
1: Well, I think you get right at that. That's the personal satisfaction. It's.
0: I mean, you've been doing this. We've been doing this for so long. You you have, <laughs> you have nothing to show for it other than, k a n z n s h u u dot com.
1: Well, I wouldn't say I have nothing to show for it. It was my interest in Japanese that led me to Japan and led sure. to me meeting my wife and having my three beautiful children. Yeah, And I, I think it's given me a lot of real-world experience that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah, I agree. And from the fandom aspect, and particularly the website, I, I see it as a labor of love. It's something that we do because we want to, because we like it. It's a hobby. Um, I know some people think we do, do it as a business, that we get paid and we have a secret island in the middle of the Pacific or something. But no, it's it's something we do because we gain some sort of enjoyment out of it. And if I weren't enjoying it, then I wouldn't still be a part of it. I do take my breaks from time to time that I need to just take a step back and breathe. Yeah, But I get back into it and I find it still enjoyable. You know, I think as I get older, I find that that kind of moderation is important because I don't want to burn myself out.
0: Right, right. I think that speaks to everyone is that we're still doing everything that we've been doing mm-hmm. for so long. Tell me about, we've talked a lot about journeys. Tell yes. me about that continuing fandom journey. Uh, yes. How has fandom changed over the last 20 years or so that you've been a part of it?
1: I feel like fandom, especially online fandom, has a lot greater access to more information and sooner than ever possible, mm-hmm.
0: and that's before. not even
1: from us necessarily. Right, in general, with the rise of social media, with um, with YouTube, and more news sites that get information directly from Japan because the uh, J- Japanese sources actually sometimes put out information in English. Mm-hmm. Um, every everything seems to be sort of a smaller, smaller universe than ever before, but at the same time bad information can get around very quickly. What was the problem with bad information then? And, well, there are only 10 of us
0: online, so it was easy to tell what the bad person what the bad information was and just segment that off. Uh, Even as AF came around, it seemed like just a larger joke that as the internet expanded, took on a life of its own that the initial group could no longer be responsible for anymore at that point. Um, Things are very different now where anyone can just take a little snapshot on their cell phone and pass it around and someone retweets it to some other Facebook group and Instagram with bad text over top and oversaturation. And suddenly you have a news story on a Mexican website.
1: Right. And so uh, it, you have this sort of feedback loop where people keep passing it around, bad information, and it takes a lot of effort to get correct information out there. It's part of what we see our role as moving forward is that the providers of accurate up-to-date information uh, that people know mm-hmm. that is reliable because we vet it before we put it online.
0: How does content you fit into that? Do you, do you feel like we're immune to that in any respect?
1: Well, I, I don't think we're entirely immune, but we do our best to try and provide people with information that they know they can trust not to not to be um, smug about it but if people don't think that they can trust us well maybe they have other issues that they need to work out about their fandom sure but that said i think it's still important for us to try and get the most the highest quality and the most accurate information that we can you think that's always going to speak for itself i would like it to yeah i don't know if i have a better response than that but it should (laughs) damn it it should i totally
0: agree what else has changed
1: uh, I th- I also think that in-, in many respects, that while the fandom uh, has become more open to the Japanese version, perhaps as a consequence of things from Japan becoming more accessible more easily via both legal and illicit channels, mm-hmm. that there there's less of a knee jerk response towards uh, the Japanese version that you might have found with uh, fans. Of the solely of the English version, mm-hmm. there is a segment of the fandom that grew up with, for example, the Funimation English dub and really doesn't know much of anything else. But I found that, especially as they mature, they're becoming less judgmental about that. At least I think they are.
0: Let's roll with that for a minute. Do you think the fact that we came into the series at a time when we had? multiple cast changes, multiple musical score changes. Did that just prime us for being open to then going to the Japanese version? But then you were talking about how it was, now I suddenly reject everything that came before. So like right. you had that knee-jerk reaction kind of in the opposite direction.
1: Right. It's like we had the Japanese version. We don't need anything else. Yeah. But I think as we've as we've gotten older, um, we realized that for many people, this is what they know. Mm-hmm. And it's not our focus. We, we choose to focus on the Japanese version because that is the original version. But we, we try to steer people in the direction of uh, things that they can take interest in, regardless of uh, what particular localized version they, they know the best. And I, I personally um, am not offended by, by people in, enjoying one particular version over another. Uh, I do take offense to people trying to um say that be because my particular version is right that everyone else is wrong Mm. that kind of approach and i I realize um that that would probably not sit well with um a younger me in my teenage
0: years there's a lot of stuff that i i think and feel now that i felt the exact same way but i think the focus of it kind of went in the wrong direction yeah at that time i don't know really how to phrase that what else do you want to see out of fandom over the next 10, 20 years in Dragon Ball? Obviously, we got a new movie yeah. on the horizon as the time we're recording this. There's going to be more Dragon Ball. What do you want to see fandom do and how do you want to see it evolve?
1: Mostly, I, I would like to just see people take enjoyment in it and um, be happy for others who take enjoyment in it.
0: But also at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to still have a critical eye about it. Oh, of course. While recognizing that a critical eye isn't necessarily negative fandom. I don't know how to phrase yes. that. Either. I,
1: I think um, partly because we live in a world where uh, social media can promote quick sound bites and yeah. uh, misleading interpretations of broader context. People tend to make very quick snap judgments about whether they like something or not and that can in turn uh, be extrapolated to the idea of whether it's good or bad so it goes from an opinion mm-hmm. to uh, an objective judgment <laughs> yeah um, and that that is not always one and the same and you know it, it, it's very much two separate worlds something can be bad and you can still enjoy it something can be very good but it doesn't interest you these are two separate things and it's it's fine to look at something with a critical eye and take enjoyment for it, from it, while also pointing out uh, both its strengths and its flaws. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we and um, other people uh, that we associate with um, through the website and um, um, through other media, I think, try to accomplish. To me, um, while you can like something, just being uncritically gushy about everything doesn't lead to any productive discussion. Mm -hmm. And what I would really like to promote is productive discussion. People coming together and sharing ideas and trying not to get in each other's face about it. Sure. Proverbially. Um, I realize that social media has a tendency towards sometimes um, toxic voices drowning out people who are just trying to enjoy themselves. Mm -hmm. But overall, I want people you know, to to share their opinions and to garner increased enjoyment through the sharing of those things.
0: Where do you think we fit in with that over the next 10, 20 years?
1: I want us to be able to provide the objective informational background for that kind of discussion. Mm-hmm. We can point out how things changed over time, where uh, these things came about, um, all all of the background information that people can use to make informed judgments. And while we obviously have our own opinions as um, members of the site, that overall our material should help lead people to form their own informed opinions about the material.
0: How can that work for us? Is this is something I struggle with? Where I th- I think you're right. We and it's, it's proven we have the best base of context for Dragon Ball that has ever existed in english maybe beyond but we're also individuals <laughs> as people there, right. there there is mike there's julian there's heath and there's jake and we have new site contributors as well who who have their own thoughts and opinions is it it's a it's a weird role for a lot of us where it's i'm giving you this meanwhile over here which is generally on the podcast for us right now right. here are our personal opinions where do you see the site going in that respect while also acknowledging, oh, we have a wiki that we're going to launch, which we have lots of other great help on. Fingers which, crossed. <laughs> which can serve as an even greater base of raw information and citations. Right. How does that all fit together?
1: Well, it's very much the the divide between the informational side and the editorial side. I try not to mix too much uh, into the informational side yeah. when I have... Sp- strictly opinions about something uh i think inevitably because we are individuals some of our personality will leak into the material but in general our job such as it is (laughs) is uh to present the information and we can use it to form the basis of our own opinions as individuals yeah and help others form opinions as well naturally uh the things that we talk about tend to be things that we're interested in yeah but um I think, as we've discovered, there's lots of people who are interested interested in all sorts of things. There's uh, people like uh, AJ um, who are very interested in the animation side of things. There are people like uh, Kenny Su three thousand mm-hmm. who, and with K, has uh, an extensive. Uh, catalog of uh, the musical tracks used in the original Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z and, I think, to an extent, GT. Yeah. Although there's a lot of we don't know because not much has been released on CD for that.
0: Some of the things you're talking about there is uh, it kind of feels like a parallel to how you're describing something like Anime News Network as a, a generalist reporting entity. Something I worry about is falling back into a role of Oh, I'm just a Dragon Ball generalist, and I don't actually
1: know anything anymore. Well, that's why we have people who are very, very uh, intensely interested in specific things that we can go to for information. Yeah, and I think
0: I is that my secret plan is I'm just gathering people to supplement my own knowledge.
1: It's not a bad idea. It's. I think it's pretty good. You're going to end up like Dr. Weero with a gigantic <laughs> brain inside of a robot.
0: You have a wonderful body and mind. I <laughs> want it. <laughs> Keep choosing younger, smarter people. <laughs>
1: but, yeah, uh, I, I think to have that kind of, um, kind of uh, segmentation where we do cover the broader context, but we also have specific areas of in- interest that we try to go in-depth into. Yeah. Uh, I think that provides a wealth of information that people will find if they dive into it that there is plenty there to immerse themselves in.
0: Fast questions. Okay. Favorite character? Mr. Satan. Favorite story arc?
1: Mm, Red Ribbon. Really? Yeah.
0: Really? Yeah. All right. Favorite theme song? Mm. Opening or
1: ending? Oh, that changes depending on the day. Uh, I'm kind of partial to um, Usubeni right now.
0: Are you really? Yeah. You're giving me
1: all the hot takes here. Really? Yeah. Why not? No. Yeah. You don't like it. No. Maybe because you don't understand the lyrics. No,
0: it, I can read along with them perfectly fine. I don't, I don't like know. It song. touches
1: something. All it doesn't right. have to do directly with Dragon Ball in order to be enjoyable. All right. Okay, something more mainstream. How about the theme? You don't have to change your answer. Ah. <sighs> How about um oh the the Wii game words? Senkaiji daiboken. Yes, or... that's the one
0: with um Takahashi.
1: Yes, yeah, that that one. Um, God, what's the name of the song? Da 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 there we go. <laughs>
0: uh favorite piece of background music. Hum us a little bit.
1: Dun 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 dun
0: Very nice. Good choice. Favorite movie?
1: Ooh. Probably either Fu no of Or Battle of Gods. Yeah? Yeah.
0: What do you like about 12? What do you like about Battle of Gods? Uh,
1: The thing I like about 12 is that it has a good mixture of action and goofy humor, which I kind of enjoy. Mm -hmm. And uh, Battle of Gods introduced Beerus, who I find absolutely amazing as a character. He's a perfect mix of threatening and funny and personable. You wouldn't mind spending more time with even if it meant the possible end to your existence. Sure, yeah.
0: Ignoring who came, who went. Let's say we could add an eleventh team member to Universe Seven. Who'd you pull in?
1: Mm, That's a good question. I would say Goten and Trunks as Mighty Mask.
0: (laughs) As Mighty Mask, not Goten's Mighty Mask. Yes, I like it. All right,
1: we we could we could fool the Zeno for a little bit.
0: Favorite interview or kind of like single quote. Anything that specifically has resonated with you?
1: I think anything that involves both Toriyama and Masakazu Katsura, when they yeah. get together, it is always a riot to read. And I have always had the most <laughs> fun translating. It always feels
0: like Katsura opens the door like Kramer and it's like, ah, oh, here he is. Yay. And then <laughs> even the, the text surrounding is like, and Katsura came in and I don't know what they're talking about.
1: Right, even the interviewer is bewildered. Like, I have no idea what's going on now, <laughs> <laughs> and they're just getting in on on each other's case and arguing about things. Mm-hmm. It was, it's it's a blast to read. It's a blast to translate. I have a lot of fun with them. Nice. Mentioned this earlier,
0: but uh, favorite non Dragon Ball singular Toriyama work, I guess, other than Doctor Slum, because that's. Mm. If I had to choose one.
1: one, I would probably choose the Nekomajin stories. Mm-hmm just because there's a, a variety of different stories in it and it get, gets into later on the uh, me- Nekomajin z which is ostensibly about the same character but just the way that it kind of riffs on dragon ball and also makes fun of it at the same time without mm-hmm. getting you know really bittered or any embittered or anything about his past work is just funny to me yeah especially the way that it increasingly uses vegeta as a straight man to the comedy going around him the way that um he, he gets increasingly used later on. I think it's it, Toriyama is finding his man for this kind of humor. Yeah. It's like, oh, this guy takes himself way too seriously. I can use that to my advantage. Mm-hmm.
0: If you could redo in a vacuum any spelling or translation choice with so much baggage that it's impossible to undo, what would it be?
1: Mm, that is a good question not going to say Beerus because I like the way that went. <laughs> you won with that one. I would say maybe Senzu. Yeah. Maybe translated literally as like sage beans mm-hmm. or whatnot. Just because people are used to hearing Senzu. Right. And there's no way around it. People know what those are. They, they It's a, like a proper noun, mm-hmm. essentially. And really it is. But I think a proper translation would get it across without having to gloss it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, which in, in the official uh english dub they say senzu beans which is redundant because ATM machine yeah Yeah. pin number etc
0: right i guess you already said beerus but i was going to say favorite new character introduced in the modern era of dragon ball so choose someone else
1: favorite other character introduced anytime
0: yeah post manga serialization end
1: those oh, the beers, because you already said that. Okay, it doesn't have to be limited to the manga itself? No. I'm actually interested in some of the background for the Red Ribbon Army that Toriyama introduces in the full-color comics. Mm. Uh, I mean, obviously, it, uh, there's no design associated with this character, but the idea that Dr. Gero based number 16 on his own biological son, who died at right. some point prior to uh to to when the red ribbon army arc starts um just that it gives kind of motivation and explanation for things in the series that fits very nicely it wasn't really explained in a way that i find actually quite fitting and yeah. some of the other information i don't necessarily in- agree with the way that he sort of rewrites doctor gallows role in the red ribbon army i don't yeah i don't like as much but that particular aspect i thought was very well thought out Perhaps atypical of Toriyama. Hmm. All
0: right. Last question. Okay. Favorite Dazi X slash content April fools.
1: Oh, that would have to be the AF prank. I don't think there's any question. Yeah. That was fun to do. Uh, It was a lot of work, but it was a good payoff. Do you think your Japanese holds up? Eh, It reads as unnatural. It probably works for exactly what it is. Yeah. It, Mostly grammatical and it's understandable. It definitely reads as something a foreigner who's not completely fluent in the language wrote, which I, indeed, that was accurate. (laughs) Accurate. Um, If I could do it again, I could probably make it more believable, having lots of experience with promotional stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think it's great for what it was. Nice. Plus, with all this environment of new stuff coming out all the time, it would just make it that much more at the, at, on the one hand uh, more likely but also easier to disprove because right. why isn't this coming from an official source why isn't, isn't this up on any of the official websites etc etc. You et could cetera. not
0: do that anymore at mm-hmm. all.
1: No exactly back in the day you know we had, we had no way of knowing without having access to like the magazines themselves but now there's all these sources of information which is easy to just click and then nope nothing here.
0: Well that's been Julian
1: it has. This has been a nice long chat
0: about uh, you, Zenshu, what you do there, what you will continue to do there, your life. it's a
1: place, I guess.
0: It is a place on the internet. Uh, you have any closing thoughts here?
1: I don't know. It's pretty cool. I enjoy it. Hope you enjoy it too, because that's, I mean, basically the intent is that we enjoy what we do. Yeah. And if we don't enjoy what we do, then we wouldn't do it, so.
0: And no one else would like it either,
1: probably. Probably. I mean, I think the best... The best things for other people to enjoy are what the people who are doing it enjoy. So Mm -hmm. I just want us all to enjoy it and to enjoy enjoying it together. If that makes any sense at all. I've I've had some beer, so I may not be the most coherent. (laughs) All good. Okay.
0: Thank you once again to Julian for recording that five years ago with me apologies for not releasing it in the meantime but here we are i think there's a lot of funny stuff going back and listening in there uh his outlook on what uh the new movie we mentioned a new movie at that point which would have been dragon ball super broly i think at that point we didn't know anything about the movie other than that there was going to be one, um, what it possibly could be. Like there's just so much Julian has a, a wonderful and unique outlook. And, uh, as opposed to me, his predictions and expectations for the future, uh, usually end up being true. I just love that about him. So that's going to wrap that up. As usual, we have a lot of stuff going on, on the site these days, keeping up with all the usual things you're looking for those monthly Toyotaro drew it. We got them. You're looking for the back of those Psycho Jump, the other authors during their 40th anniversary super gallery and the comments. We got them. Did you know there's a whole bunch of books coming out in Japan? We break them all down. We got them. Our buddy Zenpai had translated a comment from Naoki Sato, the composer for Dragon Ball Super Superhero. A comment that came with the original soundtrack. We got that up on the site. So there's a lot of good regular stuff and I am desperately trying to pull my attention back to some articles that have been kind of like anywhere between 50 and 80% done a lot. I just need to get over that finish line. What's really interesting is that when you kind of spend some time away from them and you come back to them, you almost get this like reinvigoration of, oh, right, I was writing that. That was cool. There's some good stuff in here. Oh, I only wrote this. Let me go flesh out the rest of that sentence, that paragraph. So Consensue is weird that we, (laughs) you know, you heard it from Julian five years ago. You'll hear it now and all the way into whenever we finish, which is going to be never. We work on our own projects at our own timelines. And when they're done, they're done. And then they're actually never done. There's always new updates to things. So look forward to that. we got some great podcasts planned in the future as well. Like I said, we're not going to drop all these interviews in a row. We'll sprinkle them throughout. So look forward to additional ones. Heath hujio will be the next one that you'll see in the future. And until then, I guess I'll just do all the usual wrap-up stuff. www.kanzhuu.com That is kanzenshu.com. Check out the website. In fact, there is a website. There's a whole website with a whole bunch of stuff. If you like what you hear, you like what you see, consider, checking out patreon.com that helps us keep the lights on every month we appreciate anything and everything that folks do for us if you kick in at the $5 a month level you can hang out with us on our discord great times there everything else is I think the, the usual stuff here that's it this was episode 503 we will see you next time for 504 thank you everybody bye bye